Uh, aren't you just excited about what, what and who God is and what he does for us? I'm so excited. I just love, I just can't, we, you know, we had to miss a Wednesday because we had a funeral to go to. I was telling them last night, I don't know if any, many of you heard this, but we thought we were just, they just said, would you just say something? Cause it's a lady who helped us start our business. I mean, she was, she was our first clinician. She really held our hand as we walked through all these things and, said, oh, yeah, we'd be glad to say something. So we're thinking we're just going to get up and say, you know, a few good words. <laughs> we get there, and we pull up the little card, you know, that they have, and it says, Pastors Donna and Terry Wise, officiants. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I said, well, this is the first. And the, and the um, funeral director walked up and said, are you guys the speakers? And we said, well, I think we might be. <laughs> I said, do you have a sheet of paper? We need a, we need an order of service. So that was a first experience for me in, in as many years as I've been doing this. I, so, but it came out beautifully. It came, thank God for cell phones and I can store my files on my cell phone. And, and, and it was a one time I had no Bibles in my car. I just cleaned out my car. So he hands me a, a Gideon's Bible, which is fine. And, um, and so we were able to, but it, it really turned out to be very beautiful. And it's just, and, and it was an honor to be able to do that. And, and we get to participate this Wednesday again in something they're doing. So we're excited about, we just love to celebrate people. You know, people are important. People are the reason we're here. People is what the church is all about. It's not about an organization. It's not about how many numbers we have or how much money we have on our, but it's about people. And if we ever forget that, we cease being his church. That song, I love those songs you guys sang, that, the John three sixteen. God so loved the world, why? People. He's not talking about a globe floating in an orbit. He's talking about people. God so loved people that he sent his only begotten son. And I'm, I'm for one, thankful because I was a mess when he found me. How about you? Anybody was perfect when he found you? I think my mess was crying out to him. You better get down here quick. <laughs> it's about ready to explode and implode and explode and all of that. But, but God is so good. And uh, I'm just excited to bring the word today. And, and uh, Pastor Zach and Nicole are away camping or whatever they're doing. I'm not, I guess they're camping. They have their campers. So we miss them today, and I know they hated they hated missing this, but they can watch it on uh, on Facebook or YouTube. And I know he would have been here praying hard, and he as he does, he loves you guys too, he and Nicole. So I want to start uh, a mess. I'm going to give you a message today, and the title of the message is "What's Your Point of View?" What's your point of view? A point of view is very important. Let me give you the definition. It's a particular attitude or way of considering a matter. It's a it's your perspective on something. You know, you see the little, little. I don't know if you can read that little diagram there. They're on either side of a number, and to one, his perspective is it's a six. But if you go on this side, his perspective is it's a nine. Well, that's kind of like the world we live in, isn't it? Two people can look at the same event or the events that are going on in the world and have totally different, diametrically opposed perspectives. But there's, And there is a lot going on, and the way we view what is going on will determine how and what we do in the days ahead. The way we view what's going on in the world today will determine how we, how, how and what we do in the days ahead. And, you know, regardless of circumstances, and this is for every one of us. Let me tell you, how many, how many has had a, had a troublesome months? Anybody? Yeah. I mean, most people have had, because our life totally got shifted, right? We, you look at the church. We don't do the church like we used to do. We have people still that won't come or can't come or, 
for whatever reason, they don't want to come because of the COVID issue. That's okay. We respect that. And we, we do respect that. We want people to be safe. We want people to be healthy. But regardless of circumstances, God's covenant never changes. You know, I, I, I'm, I, sometimes I feel embarrassed, really, talking about our life in the COVID. This is the wisest in COVID. We've expanded our business, opened a new office, started a new business, and just hired two clinicians. I'm thinking, well, what would it have been without COVID? <laughs> you know? but, but see, the reason we're doing that is because we refuse to see the circumstances as negative. Because regardless of what's going on, God is still God. His word is still truth. His covenant is still there. And if we, be, if we have a different perspective uh, or a different way of viewing other than what this says, then we're going to find that we're going to get exactly what we speak and believe, right? So COVID does not change God's call on any of our lives. If God called you in January to do something, when March happened, that call didn't change. You think God was caught off guard by all of this going on? You think he was caught off? You think he didn't know there's going to be riots and violence and people getting sick? I think he had probably had an idea, right? So if he called you to do something in last year or January or February, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. The circumstances do not change the faithfulness of God's word. I love Psalm 46, 1. It says, God is a refuge, our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. He's always ready to help us. Always. Always ready. And it's during times of difficulty that God shows his strength. We're amazed at what we see God doing in our lives. In the church and in, in our businesses and our family. It's just incredible. But I want to ask you, what has God called or asked you to do and has anything changed since that calling? Has anything changed? I love, uh, and you've heard me say this, especially during these last months, that in Genesis 26, there was an incredible famine in Egypt. And Isaac was there. And the Bible says in Genesis 26 that he planted seed in a time of famine. And you know what happened? Did a seed die? He reaped a hundredfold return. And he reaped so much that the Philistines were jealous of him. See, because God's anointing was on his seed. His anointing was on Isaac's action. And see, the same is for us. It doesn't matter. It, you know, the, the same seed wasn't working for the Philistines, but it was working for Isaac. Is that not incredible promise? Is that not, does that not encourage us? It should encourage. I love that. So what determines our perspective is our point of view or our worldview. Our worldview. Now, I put this back there, and you can get it later. This is, and this is secular worldview. I'm gonna, you know what the biblical worldview is, right? Secular worldview. I just want to read one of them. The secular worldview is superiority ideology. Now, see if this kind of explains anything we see going on today. It says whether this is racial, economic, or otherwise, it is founded on the, on the might is right philosophy. Whoever's the strongest, whoever's in power. This ideology assumes that one group is better than the other. Therefore, it justifies the domination of the lesser group. Usually proponents of this view demonize, dehumanize, and mistreat the group they aim to dominate. That's a secular worldview. That's just one point, one characteristic. Does that explain a lot of what's going on in our nation? Does that explain racism? Does that explain abortion? Trying to keep the, the population of certain people groups down? 
So we need a biblical worldview. And, And many Christians would say they have a biblical worldview, which means that they see the world through the lens of this word. That means that Jesus is Savior, God is Creator, Jesus redeemed us from sin. We can overcome because we have authority. We're children of God. That's what a biblical worldview means. But just last week, Barna came out with a survey that says only 2% of millennials, that's 23 to 38-year-olds, only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. That's sad. Now, more than 2% of millennials go to church probably. At least some point in time. And probably much higher percentage than that would say they, they're a believer. But when you look at what a biblical worldview is, only 2% according to the Barner research. Which means they're going to be believing this stuff. You should get it. It's very educational to read. So what does that really mean at the end of the day? Well, it means fast forward 15 or 20 years. This non-biblical worldview is going to be running our schools, running our government, running our media, running our news running our colleges and universities and unless there's an intervention but let me tell you there's an intervention coming there's an intervention coming there's a promise coming there's an awakening getting ready to happen there is awakening but how we view today will determine our actions for the future and for tomorrow i love what abraham lincoln said he said the best thing about the future is that it comes one day at a time it comes one day aren't you glad (laughs) One day at a time. If I had to, you know, if I had to take a week at a time, I'd be overwhelmed, right? Sometimes a day overwhelms us. Also, Winston Churchill said, and this is very powerful, the empires of the future are the empires of the mind. In other words, as you think, so will you become. As you choose, so will you become. As you decide, so will you become. So it's how we view things in our life that determine our next step or our next action. And so our perspective determines our decisions right? Which determines our actions. You look at a situation, you're going to make a decision based on your perspective of it, your point of view, and then your decision will determine your action. So as I'm thinking about a good Bible, I said, God, okay, what's a good Bible story that would illustrate this? And of course, he sent me to a very, very familiar portion of scripture. You're all very familiar with it, I'm sure, and it's found in Numbers 13. And I want to read a few verses out of Numbers 13. And then I want you to look at five life lessons we can learn out of this, what I'm going to read to you today. Five life lessons. And this will affect us regardless of where we're at, regardless of what stage of life we're in, regardless of what we're doing. We, we need to learn these life lessons. Some of us maybe have learned a few. Some of us have maybe had to go around the mountain a few times, right? You know, anybody? Yes, yes, yes. Both hands up, Right. So uh, sometimes, you know, we want to say, oh, God, what was wrong with those Israelites? Why did they do all that stuff? What was wrong with Eve? You know, why did she eat that apple? And I've said it a hundred times. If it hadn't been for her, it had been to me if it got to me. So it would, uh, you know, it was going to be one of us, right? <laughs> okay, so numbers, just, uh, just follow along. I'm just going to read a few uh, scriptures, and then we're going to jump right into our life lessons. Starting with verse 2, it says, The Lord is speaking to Moses, and Moses telling Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. The land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. Then Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? 
Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do you best do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see? It happened to be the season of harvesting the first ripe grapes. You know, God just set them up big time. He waited till the season when all the huge fruits and the bounty was there. But you know, the interesting thing, and I never really realized this until I began looking at this this week, is God didn't tell them to form an opinion. He said, just go and observe. He didn't say one time, now tell me what you think. He said, I want you to go and observe. Is it, are the people big, small, a lot, a few? Is it plentiful? You see, when God gives you a promise, he's not asking you anything other than to believe the promise. He's going to take care of how you get it done. But what do we do? We normally get all excited. Oh, I'm going to do this. This is impossible. I'm overwhelmed. What am I going to do? He's, just go look at the promise. And then we get over in verse 25. It says at the end of the 40 days. So they went out there and they did their thing for 40 days. After the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. They had, they were, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Look how great this is. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, see? Just like you said, God, it's awesome. But, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified, and they're very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And then it says, but Caleb quieted the people for Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. And then over in verse uh, chapter 14, it says, And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. We used to sing this little song, we eat giants for our bread. Remember that song we used to sing? (laughs) Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Sound familiar? Pastors? (laughs) Leaders? And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. So let's look at what we can glean. So life lesson number one. Now this is on our, it's also up on the um, podcast. The notes are if you uh, have want to get access to that. 
Lesson number one. What can we learn? Let's look at the first verse. Send out the men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Lesson number one is you focus only on the promise. What did the Lord say? He said, the land I am giving to the Israelites. He didn't say, go look at the land. Let's see if we can take it. Let's go look at the land. Let's, let's, I want you to come back and tell me what you think. He just said, you go look at the land. I'm giving it to you. Let me tell you something. When God has given you a promise, he's given it to you. He never said it was going to be without obstacle. He never said it was going to be easy. He just said, I'm going to give it to you, right? And that word explore or spy in some translation means careful examination. It's like doing a due diligence. Careful examination is where an intense search for wisdom is such an important preoccupation in the mind of the person. That's the theological word book of the Old Testament. It means that there is such an intense search for how am I going to get this? So when God gives us a promise, we need to do some due diligence. When God gave you a promise of having your family back together, you had to go through it. You had, you had to seek God for wisdom. How do I do this? What do I need to do? Right? Joshua 1.8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to what is written, for then you're going to make your way successful. So success only comes through meditating on this word, believing what he said, right? So we have to stay focused on the promise of God. And the promise of God is always a joint effort between us and God, always. It's a, it's a joint effort between us and God. And God, and as, as I said, God told Moses, I've given you the land. I'm giving, I have given you the land. When, what did he say to Joshua back in Joshua 1? First he said, jo- Joshua, get up, quit moaning and groaning and weeping over Moses. You got something to do. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, he said you go, I want you, everywhere you put your foot, I've given to you. Every place you put your foot, I've given to you. So Joshua, but then he said, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Meditate on the word day and night. Then you're going to be successful in everything I've called you to do. So the promise is always previous to the passion that we have. Get that? The promise is always previous. When we focus on the promise, our passion starts to build. When we begin to speak the promise, the passion starts to build. If we're focusing on the negative, well, I can't, like those other guys did, 10 out of 12, by the way. Brought back a bad report. What they, they wanted to stone the only two that had a good report. They wanted to stone the only two that believed what God was saying. So with the passion is always previous. A promise is always previous. And God gives the passion, gives, gives the promise, and we build that promise by focusing on the word of God concerning that. I remember when we started Genesis, we've told this story so many times in 03, we had people laughing at us. Who told you you could do this? You're a businessman. You're a chemist and you're a, a pastor. What, what are you, you can't do this. This was a friend of ours who was a PhD psychologist. We said, but God said, do it. God said, do it. I guess he'll send the people he wants. What did he do? He sent us Ann Beatty, the lady I was talking about, who helped us walk right through the whole process. Or, you know, he didn't, God never wants, yeah, I think God knew who we were and what we knew when he called us, don't you? I remember when he called me to pastor and I said, God, you know, I don't want to deal with a female issue. And, I, you know, you know how it is with women in ministry, especially in the South. And he, and he said to me, don't you think I knew you were a woman? And I called you anyway. <laughs> and he did. But I said, I'm the least likely. And he said, that's exactly who I need. He needs the least likely. Those who's not willing to get steal all the credit from God and let God have the glory. That's who he's needing. And that's who he's needing from you. When he calls you to do something, he gets the glory. He gets the glory. So as we believe and we seek God, we become passionate about the promise. And I want to ask you, what promise has God put in your heart? What promise has God given to you? 
He's not concerned about COVID. Let me tell you, he's not concerned about the riots. He's not concerned about the violence. He's not concerned about finances. God will just supply all of that. He, he has it all. But we have to be careful. We have to focus on the dream God has given to us. This is what's worthy of our focus. What we focus, we feel. Keep in mind, what you focus, you feel. What you focus on, you feel. Because when you focus on something long enough, it starts to become thought processes to you. And what you think on creates emotions. Secondly, what, what does all that's going on really mean to you in the entire scheme of life? What's what's going on around us really mean to us in the entire scheme of life? We have to be able to identify what does all this really, really mean? We have to be able to see that it's really not against black and white. It's about powers and principalities against God's kingdom. See, that's what it really means, what's really going on in our nation. It's really not a, you know, the devil uses races to, to be pawns on his chessboard. The devil uses genders. He uses economy. He uses political parties. But God says, no, it's not about that. It's don't, don't, be, and don't be concerned about flesh and blood. It's about powers and principalities trying to steal the biblical worldview of the people in the churches. That's what it's all about. And then thirdly, we have to, what are we willing to do with what you feel and what you value? What are you willing to do for what God has called you to do? Are you willing to pay the price? We're going to get to that in a moment. So life lesson number two is we have to see beyond the obstacles to the treasure. We have to see beyond the obstacles to the treasure. And in verse 18, it says, Moses gave the men these instructions, go north through the Negev into the hill country. We think, what's the big deal about that? Well, the word Negev means dry. And it was a place where little rainfall fell and was considered to be a desert. When I first put this in here, I had dessert. And I had to put, take one of my S's out. But actually, that was kind of a funny thing because it really was a dessert. Because underneath the ground was a rich resource of copper and bromine and natural gas. So see, it might have looked dry on the outside, but underneath there was a treasure. And many times, God will, it will seem like what we're going through is dry and impossible. But let me tell you, God has a treasure there. God can bring a treasure. And we have to learn to see beyond what is directly in front of us. We have to learn to believe that God... Where, you know, and wherever you're heading may seem impossible. It may seem dry. It may seem like it's more than you can deal with. But let me tell you, there's more than ample resources underneath the surface that God wants to bring up into your life. More than ample resources. And you can't let what you see keep you from where you're going. You cannot let what you see keep you from where you're going. If God said go, go. How many of you have ever used GPS? Anybody ever been in their car and they said, well, this just doesn't feel right, but the GPS is telling you exactly where to go, right? And so you follow the GPS and there you, you end up right where you thought you wanted to go, right? So that's the way God is. Sometimes, you know, we, we might even get off track a little, but see what he'll do. He'll say rerouting, <laughs> you know, and he'll put us right back on track again. And you get off track again. Well, I'm rerouting and he gets you right back on track again. How many has been rerouted a few hundred times? Yes, yes. So we, we all have, and thank God for rerouting. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Adversity reveals the real you. Adversity reveals the real you. In every adversity, you're going to learn something if you will allow it. Adversity strips you down to your real fighting weight. See, we know who we really are when we come into it, up against a problem. We see whether we're going to collapse, whether we're weak, whether we're strong. Adversity is the qualifier for the next level in your life. 
It's where we bulk up. It's where we bulk up. It's where we build our faith and stamina for the next level. You know, Terry's been doing uh, all kind of gym stuff, you know, and he's starting to bulk up a little bit. And <laughs> it's in there. I mean, I'm not letting any obstacle interfere with what I, the end goal, right? I said, this is, but I don't understand the difference between men and women is, you know, he can just, he can just like Thursday, Joanne and I played golf for 18 holes with a couple with a lady and it was hot and we were sweating and we were walking and I thought, surely I must have lost three pounds. <laughs> I had about 35 carbs all day. I thought, surely I've lost about three pounds. And he is home on his office, on the phone, working on some stuff he has to work on all day. So he's on his phone all day. So we weigh the next morning. He's lost a pound. I lost 0.4 pounds. I thought, what do you have to do? What more can I do? Anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're doing. But we want to keep going, right? We want to keep going. I'm not, I didn't go out and get a banana split. I didn't do any of that stuff. Because I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on. And I'm not allowing the obstacle to block me from getting my end goal. So, you know, I'm thinking, okay, God, what is this about? You know. So anyway, I thought the next day I'm just going to sit at home on the phone and see if I can lose a pound. <laughs> where am I at? Okay, it's where we bulk up. That's what got me sidetracked. I told somebody the other day, I'm sure I have ADD. I don't know. I'm just all over the place sometimes. But that's okay. It always seems to flow. So how do we know where God is leading us? <laughs> See, because what has God placed in your heart? And let me tell you something. This is a truth I have learned. When God tells you to do something, number one, it's not going to be easy. And number two, a lot of people would, would stop. So he's coming to you. When God's called you to do something, Robert Frost wrote a poem called The Road Not Taken, and this is what he said. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. Let me tell you, if it's easy, anybody can do it. If it's easy, anybody can do it. And if it's easy, somebody's already done it, right? Scott Peck wrote a book called A Road Less Traveled based on that poem by, by Robert Frost, and this is a quote. He says, life is difficult. Amen? Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because only we truly see this truth. Only we, I want to say, it's a great truth because once we see, truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult. Because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Did I butcher that enough? Let me say, this is a great truth. One of the greatest truths is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. It's not the circumstances that control our life. It's our decisions in the circumstances. It's our decisions, in this, and our decisions are based on our faith and the promise of God if we have a biblical worldview. And our faith is based on our point of view or perspective of God's character. See, if, why does God want you to know him? Because if you don't know him, you can't have faith in him. See, you get to know how faithful he is. That's why I love reading the Old Testament. It shows his faithfulness. It's powerful. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, right? So there's so many truths. Everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament. It's powerful. 
So we have to attempt something. These are some lessons we have learned through life. We have to attempt something so impossible that unless God is involved, it's doomed to fail. Right? Now, that'll stress you a little bit, but let me tell you, it's worth it. Number two, God never asks us to do something that doesn't re- does not require him as our partner. If you think you can do it and don't need God, God didn't have you to do it. Number three, if it's easy, somebody would have already done it. Number four, circumstances do not matter if God is saying do it. Circumstances, if you set your heart to do what God has said to do, he'll send you all the help and the finances you need. All the help. And you know, there is a very high price for success. There is a very high price. And so, here's another quote from Vince Lombardi. You know, we used to have football, right? This is an ex-football coach. Once you agree upon the price you and your family must pay for success, it enables you to ignore the minor hurts, the opponent's pressure, and the temporary failures. Once you agree on the price you and your family are going to pay, you have to decide. If God told God, I'll give it all. I'll do it all. Whatever you say, we'll do. Napoleon Hill says, Nature cannot be tricked or cheated. She will give up to you the object of your struggles only after you have paid her price. That is true. And let me tell you, I believe there is a Lazarus generation coming. We talk about it all the time. There's a Joshua generation. I was praying about this this morning. There's a Joshua generation and there's a Lazarus generation. They're two two, totally separate people. We're both going to be part of the Great Awakening. And let me just read a quote out of Mario Marilla's Vessels of Fire and Glory. The Lazarus, who, are the, who is the Lazarus generation? And this is, this is where the church is going to have to get outside their, their boundaries and their comfort zones. Out of the graves in the inner city and on campuses, the Lazarus generation will rise. Today they are in gangs. Today they're on drugs. Today they're screaming for leftist revolution. Then in a way no man can take credit for, they will be struck by the resurrection power of Christ. Tomorrow they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and will operate in frightening zeal. That's who God is raising up. That's who's coming in this next awakening. That's who the church better be ready to receive and accept. They're not going to look like a lot of nice church people today. They better get out in the streets and they better find these people because they're out there. They're waiting for you, waiting for us to go out there and reach them, waiting for the church to get outside the doors and get over coming in on Sunday morning and leaving and doing nothing else except checking off an appointment we had this week. We've got to get outside the door. We've got to be the true ecclesia. We've got to reach the lost. And it's the greatest thing you could ever do. Wise is the person who wins souls. That's what the Word of God tells us. We must win souls. And the time that we're in can be the greatest time of our life if we look past the struggle to the promise that God has given to us. And like I said, your harvest may not look like what you thought it was going to look like. Church doesn't look today like we thought it was going to look like a year from a year ago. Who would have thought we'd be doing church the way we are? Who would have thought that half the church is going to be staying at home? Who would have thought the fear that's sweeping over our nation? Who would have thought it? You'd have told me that a year ago. I said, no way. The church would never do that. But look, many churches don't even open. Many pastors aren't even opening their churches for whatever reason. That's between them and God. But let me tell you, there's a promise coming, and the devil's trying to close down churches, get outside the doors. Maybe that's the reason God's allowing this because he wants the church to get out of the church and become the church, right? So we have to look past the obstacles. I'm going to ask you, what price are you willing to pay for your dream that God has given you, for your calling, for the promise? What price are you willing to pay? Are you going to give up, give out, 
or plow through. Lesson number three, get your butt out of the way. Oh, that's not the way it says that. Get your butt out of the way. (laughs) That's one T. Numbers 13, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. That word but means fear. It means an excuse. That's what it is. When we say, yes, God told me to do this, but there's COVID going on. Yes, God told me that to start, start this business, but there's a COVID going on. You got to get your butt out of the way, right? You got to get your butt out of the way. See, they saw the enemy in the land, but it was their land. Let me ask you, if you had somebody, if you had an invasion of something coming into your home and bugs or rats or I don't know what goes in people's houses but anyway we get we have exterminators but what you do anything to get rid of them wouldn't you let me tell you something there's an enemy that's occupying the promise God has given to you there's an enemy occupying the promise God has given to you it's up to you to get rid of the enemy and God has given you the ability and the strength and the wisdom and the resources to do it what price are you willing to pay for your success Back 2012 or something, 2010, the Lord gave me a message called Don't Let the Ites Bite. And there's some of the Ites mentioned here, but every one of those names, and this is what he said, look up the Hebrew root of the word and see what it really means. So I went through that, and and this is what the ones mentioned here mean, the root word. The Amalekites, the root word of that means pride, boasting, self-promotion. These are things that are killers for you to to take the area that God has for you. Pride boasting self-promotion i'm going to get the credit i'm going to let everybody know i did it i'm doing it my way or no way and god said i can't use you hittites discouragement confusion and fear fear i can't do that god said do it but but equals fear remember so fear we you know god has not given us a spirit of fear power love a sound mind we can overcome anything fear is of the enemy Three, Jebusites means the, the, the root word of that in the Hebrew means profanity of that which is holy or lust. See, a spirit of lust has consumed our nation. If you read this, you're going to see that's one of the ideologies of the secular um, worldview. Lust. We've got to have entertainment. I want, every, I want everything I can see, whether it's sexual, whether it's money, whether it's things, whatever it might be. Those things will rob you of the blessing, the promise God has for you. Can you wait if God says no? Can you wait if God says no? Maybe you think, I know God's got me doing this. I know this is for now. And he says, nope, not today. How do you handle something like that? Number four, Amorites. The root word of that means a challenge or to speak against. And I think the biggest danger is when we speak against the very thing God has promised us we can have. I know God said do it, but. I know God said open the churches, but. I know we're supposed to be praying, but. I'd like to go to prayer, but. I really am tired and I need to stay home. I'd really love to come to church, but, you know, I'd really love to start that business, but I don't have any money. We started Genesis with nothing, just what we had in the bank, right? It was a lot of money we had to spend through the days, right? But you know what? God's key just kept, we could send it out and he'd send it in. We'd send it out and he'd send it in. It's amazing how God works. Canaanites, that word, root of that word means to slander, to gossip, or to have strife between people. See, all of these things will rob you of your promise. These are the things that buts create. See, God said, do this, but then you start talking. What did they do? They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb. They slandered against Joshua and Caleb, and that's what happens. 
So the enemy is sitting on your land today and you have to seek God for the wisdom to displace the enemy. You have to seek God for the wisdom to displace the enemy. The enemy wants to destroy. He still wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy everyone's family. You've got to seek God on the wisdom to displace him. Number one, you get into the word. You speak and declare what his word says. That's what his word says. We've got to quit making excuses. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen says, A slacker or a lazy person always has an excuse for not working. Like, I can't go to work. There's a lion outside and a murderer too. I can't come to church because, you know, what What if I get COVID? What if the person sitting beside of me has something? You know, what, what if, what if, what if I run out of gas? I just have enough money to get, get gas to work. Well, if you sought God, maybe you'd have more money, right? We've done it. Proverbs twenty six thirteen. the lazy loafer says, I can't go out and look for a job. There might be a line out there roaming wild in the streets. Some of the excuses I've heard sound about that ridiculous. You know, we don't have too many lions in our street, but that, the excuses sound about the same. George Washington Carver said 99% of the failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. 99% of the failures come from people who have a habit of making excuses. Edward R. Murrow says difficulty is the excuse history never accepts. It's the, it's the, it's the excuse we, history will never accept. You have to do the thing. Mark Twain says, you do the thing you fear most and the death of fear is certain. You do the thing you fear the most and the death of fear is certain. One final quote, Nelson Mandela says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. He who conquers that fear. Doing what is required, afraid, is better than not doing it at all. Doing what is required afraid is better than not doing it all. And we've got to get the butts out of our life to keep us moving forward. Lesson number four. Two more quick. You never rise above your own self-image. And that self-image has to be your God identity. Numbers 13.33 says, We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. The word anak, the root word of that means neck or it means to choke. See, the devil wants to intimidate you. He wants to intimidate you to make you feel like you're not enough. You're not as good as. You don't have. You can't do this. You're not smart enough. Let me tell you, you and God's all you need. What you don't know, he does, right? What you don't know, he does. And he will fill you with wisdom if you seek him. And what did they say? We look like grasshoppers and we know that's how they saw us. Well, if you act like a grasshopper, you're going to look like a grasshopper, right? If you act like a grasshopper, you're going to look like one. If you start hopping around and all this, you're going to look like a grasshopper. So, you know, if you, if you act weak, if you act like a loser, people are going to think you're a loser. You walk with your head up. I don't care what's happened yesterday. Today's a new day. Today is a new day, right? You walk with your head up, and you walk proud, and you say, I'm a child of the Most High God. Everything I've done is under the blood. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter what happened. I, it's all under the blood. You know, everybody's got a closet. They've got a, a lock on with no key, right? We just want to keep it that way. Only God's not even in aware of it, right? So, so that word means to intimidate. To intimidation from the enemy will cause you to shrink in your own estimate, and the enemy will always be larger than you. Always larger than you. So we have to know our identity in Christ.
We have to. And it's so important. A man who's intimate with God is not intimidated by any man. If you're intimate with God, you're, nobody can intimidate you. No one. The person we believe ourselves to be will always act in a manner consistent with our self-image. If you feel less, you're going to act less. See, as you, your thoughts create emotions which create behaviors. If you feel less, you're going to act less. You know, I love, you remember old John Miller. Some of you folks remember him. And he, I remember, I'll never forget a message he gave on a Wednesday night. And he was talking about, he said he had a real, real important financial need. And he said the Lord told him to get out of that van he was in and walk around with his head high and act like he was a child of God. And he said he got out of that van. He pulled into his house, walked around the van. He was sprouting all the words of, I'm a child of God. You supply all my needs. No no enemy has any power over me. And he's just walking around getting filled up with power and, and confidence. And he said he heard his phone ring. And he said he went into his house. And a man was calling him saying, you know, John, you know that money I borrowed from you several years ago? He said, I finally have it to pay you back. And see how God can move? That man might have been on the other end of that phone saying, do I really need, he's probably forgotten about it. I don't really need to give this to him. But God probably put a fire and said, you better call that man and give him that money because he's over here claiming my promise for his life. This is how God works. This is how he works. Wow, our self-image is affected by what we compare ourselves to. And you should only compare yourself to God because you are an image bearer of God. You're an image bearer of God. Psalm 139 tells us how wonderfully we're made, how fearfully we're made. He has every day of your life recorded in his book. So you compare yourself to what God says. When we get engraved into our minds that we are image bearers of God, no other comparison will intimidate us. You know, and people just like those 10, they always want to, they always want to tell you how you can't do something. You know, get rid of those people. Love them and leave them. Love them and leave them. Don't get critical. Don't get gossipy. Love them and leave them. If somebody's toxic, you know, don't let somebody stand between you and what God has called you to do. Amen? And number five, our last one. Attitude drives action. Attitude drives action. But my servant Caleb, because he was a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring him into the land in which he went and his descendants shall possess it. Caleb had an attitude of humility. He had an attitude that overcame fear. He believed God. He defended his leaders. He defended the word of God. He was courageous. He did not compromise with the majority. He wasn't swayed by people pressure. He's not following the crowd. See, that's what's wrong with so many of our young people. There's so much peer pressure to be accepted, to be accepted. Caleb's faith and courage came from within him. See, attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. What's your attitude about what God said? What's your, the number one thing is, what is your attitude about this? What's your attitude about the Word of God? I told you years ago, God said, you've got to decide what you're going to believe. I said, okay, I'm choosing to believe this Word. Whether I understand it or not, I'm going to believe it. If it says I lay hands on the sick and they recover, I'm believing it. I don't care if nobody gets healed, I'm going to believe it. I've seen people get healed. If he says I'm going to supply your need, I'm going to do it. If, he's, if he gives me Psalm 91, 1,000 to fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, I'm, I'm believing it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. So we have to believe. So what's your attitude about the Word? What's your attitude about yourself and God's plan for your life? Have you already given up on it? We reveal our attitude by our actions. We say one thing, but our actions really tell what our real attitude is. 
John Maxwell said, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. Scott Hamilton, you know he was, he was a gold medalist for the Olympic skater. I didn't know much about him, but I did some research on him this week. You know, he went through several. He was always real small, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him until he was about 50. And as it turned out, he had a growth on his brain that they said in his early years would have stunted his growth. But he went through cancer a couple of times. His mom died at 18 of cancer, and yet he, he was an overcomer. He never thought about stopping, and he became an Olympic uh, gold medalist. He says the only disability in life is a bad attitude. The only disability is a bad attitude. You can do what God has called you to do. And God, just keep in mind, God only gives God-sized dreams. God only gives God-sized dreams. You know, the, there's, a, there's a requirement for the church, and it's called, we're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. We're supposed to go out and win the lost, right? You know, you think, well, my calling is to be a teacher. Well, it is, but your calling, it, your primary calling is to win the lost, my calling is to be a doctor. Well, your primary calling is to win the lost. You get to do it in that field of endeavor that you have chosen. Or your, your, my primary calling is to be a mom, a stay-at-home mom. That's the greatest calling anybody can have because you're forming generations to come. And look how many people you get to influence through that. Whatever you're called to do, whatever your vocation is, it, an overriding requirement is that you win the lost wherever you are. Because there's people on your job that's never going to come to church on a Sunday morning. They need to see the love of God in you. So you don't just say, well, come to my church on Sunday. No, you, you show them Jesus. And then make them want to know where you got what you have. How did you find this? Why are you always so happy when things are falling apart? Because I have God. Why are you always feel so blessed even when things don't look so good? Because I have God and his promises. Do you want to know him? Just to sum up. What's your point of view? Number one, you always, always, always focus on the promise. Always. Number two, you learn to see beyond your obstacles. The size of your dream is determined by the size of the obstacle that stops you. Your dream is no larger than the obstacle that stops you. Number three, don't let your butt hinder you. Don't make excuses. Number four, your self-image must be your God image. God gives your, you dreams based on your God image. See, God doesn't look at you and say, well, she's thinking she's about this high, or he's thinking he's about that high, so I only can give him a little baby. No, he's not. He said, no, he sees you this high. He says, I'm giving you a calling and a destiny based on the way I see you. The problem is most people never rise to that calling. See, God's going to give you a calling based on your God identity. When he knit you together in your mother's womb, he knew exactly what he wanted you to accomplish. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? And number five, attitude drives action. Positive attitude equals positive results. Let me flip that. Negative attitude, negative results. Let me tell you one thing. If you're breathing, it's never too late, right? If you're four, 40, 90, it's never too late. As long as you can breathe, it's never too late. God has got a plan and got a calling. There's people that you can reach for him. We have got to get ready for this great awakening that's coming. It's coming. Don't you feel it? It's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. And it's not going to look like every other thing we've ever done before. I told our staff last week or a couple weeks ago, I said, we got to think outside the box, guys. we got to redefine church. It can't look like it's looked for 60 years because let me tell you, it hasn't worked, right? It has not worked. 
If we got 2% of our 18 to 34-year-olds or 23 that are to have no biblical, only have biblical worldview, 2%, something we're doing is not working. So we've got to rethink what we're doing. We've got to rethink how God wants us to have church. Ask God. I just want you to ask God. God, what do you want me to do today? I, this is how I pray when I get up in the morning. God, give me divine appointments. Give me divine appointments. I don't have many of those because I don't do a lot of those kind of things anymore. But when God sets somebody up in front of me, I take it very seriously. I take it very seriously. There's something special about that person. Not that there's not something special about every person. But let me tell you, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. I might just plant at a time. Somebody, He might send them over here to land to water. He might send them to Terry to give the increase. But you know what? It's all God. It's all God, right? God always brings the end. Let's stand if you will. I know there's some of you in here that's kind of let things slip for a minute. Some of you have gotten discouraged about what you're seeing, what you're not seeing. Some of you don't know which step to take next. Let me tell you, God's got a plan. And I'm just, if you are really want to hear God and what God wants for you to do next, I want you to come. I'm going to pray over you as a group. If you really want to hear what God's got for you next. Sometimes we end up in a place we didn't think we were going to end up. We think, God, I never thought I'd be here. Never thought I'd be here. Some of you, and this is a word for somebody, I think it's for Jeff, actually. Maybe for everybody. I just, ooh, I think it's for you, Jeff. Get out of the past. God's got something so brand new for you that you're not going to recognize it unless you seek Him wholeheartedly for it. And don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. He's going to provide everything you need, He's going to give you support, He's going to give you the people you need. He's going to give you the resources you need. Well, that was for Jeff, but I believe it's for everybody, really. We've got to learn to think outside of the box. I was a chemist for 25 years, right? God called me, 40-something, I don't remember how old it was then, old to some of you. I'm a lot older now. To leave. He says, You're done. May 1979. You're done. You're done. And I thought, Okay, well, what am I going to do about this income that I have? And you know, he never answered me, did he? Never answered us. But he said, You're done. And you know, when God tells you you're done with something, that's all I knew to do. I was good at it. That's all I knew to do. And he said, You're done. And so I thought, Well, God must be going to put me in a ministry somehow, never thinking this was going to be the way. Never, never even thought about this. Because I couldn't hardly stand it. I couldn't hardly pray with anybody other than kids, you know. I was used to that. So I left my job last May 31st, 1979. 1997. 97, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was before we were born. No, not really. And I thought, wow, God's got something great. So I went on a mission trip to Mexico with the church, thinking, gosh, God's got something great. Come back, breast cancer. 
That's what I had. So I'm thinking, well, God, that's not exactly where I thought we were going to be with this. So, you know, and then you think, but my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. So it took a little while to work that out. So we got rid of that. And then next thing you know, I'm teaching in a private school thinking, this must be what God's got for me to do. I was teaching chemistry. And the guy says, would you just take over this department? Ah, yeah, that's what God's got for me to do. I found my place, making nothing. But that was okay. God said do it. And uh, we were in prayer with the teachers, and that couple, just a week or so later, and the Lord said, this is not where I called you. Resign at the end of the semester. So I went to my the headmaster. I said, this is not what God's called me to do. I'll be, I'll be leaving at the end of the semester. I had no clue what God was going to say. And then pastor comes and says, would you just come to work part-time at the church? I was doing women's ministry, admin stuff. And I said, okay. Next month, he said, full-time. Next month, he gets sick. Then we have a couple other pastors. And they, in 05, we walk in, and here I am. And we started Genesis by this time. And I was full. I'd already planned to spend my summer at the beach. You know, I was going to do all this, get all my golf game and going. And the pastor says, I'm resigning. God has released me. And Pastor Robinson, Mr. Robinson says, you're the one. And I'm saying, I don't know about this. So it took me a week. But see, God will put you sometimes in places you never thought you were going to be. I could have said no, and it had been the worst decision of my life because I felt so ill-prepared for that. But you know what? God prepared. He qualifies you for what he's called you to do if you're willing to pay the price. I just want to encourage you. Don't ever look at the obstacle. Don't decide whatever it costs, you're willing to pay it. But God, you know how old I am? I said, but God, do you know I'm a woman? Yeah, well, yeah, he knew that. But God, he was to put me back in seminary, and I, I think I was about 50 then. He said, I said, God, do you know how old I am? He said, yep, I know how old you are. You see, God doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't care about any of that. God only cares about he has a plan for you. It's a plan for good and welfare and success. That's what God cares about. Don't let COVID trip you up. Don't let riots trip you up. Don't let bad attitudes trip you up. God has so much in store for you. Debbie's a prime example. Hardest thing in the world was to bless her to move to South Carolina. She is a very close friend. I love her so much. She was such a blessing for us at Genesis. When she worked there. You know what? God just slid somebody in right behind her. Where is she? Back there somewhere. There she is. But Debbie is doing what God called her to do. And that's working with children with learning problems. She's doing exactly. Is it hard on the flesh? I could have said, now, Debbie, I just don't think God's called you to do that. You just need to stay right here with me. Right? I've heard pastors do that. I've heard pastors say, well, the Lord is telling me, I would never do that. God is telling you, if God get put it in your heart, do it. And God's going to bring all kind of success. We've already been praying about some children in her classroom. That if Debbie wasn't there, I don't know what would happen to those children. You see how important you are? Regardless of what you're called to do, regardless of where you're at today, God might have you there today. You might be moved in a week. But don't move till he tells you it's time to move. Because there may be some one person there that you're supposed to reach. I can't say this seriously enough. God will bless you. So just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I thank you for every person here that's saying, God, I know I've got a call. 
I know you called me. I know you've destined me to do great things, Father God, for you, for your glory, for your honor. God, it's not about me. It's all about you. It's not about my kingdom. It's about your kingdom. And God, I pray that every person here, Father, you will endow them with a special supernatural strength and ability, just as you did Moses, just as you did Aaron, just as you did Joshua, just as you did Caleb, Lord, that you'll put a different spirit in them. And Lord, they'll begin to see through your eyes. They'll begin to think like you think. They'll begin to speak your words. And they will not come in agreement with negativity. They will not allow the enemy to upset them. They will not allow the enemy to destroy the dreams and plans. God, I thank you for every person here. I can't wait to see, God, what you're going to do in their lives. I pray, Lord, that you very clearly show them past obstacles that that have stumped them. God, we don't want to go around that same mountain again and again and again. Let me tell you, there's some of you here that you've got to get out from around that mountain you've been traveling around. You've got to break those old mindsets. You've got to break those old thought patterns, those old beliefs. You and God are the partner. If it doesn't agree with his word and his spirit, God's not in it. God is not in it. So God, I pray supernatural favor. I pray supernatural blessing on, on your people. Lord, these are your people. God, you designed them for incredible works. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray they will never be intimidated. Never be intimidated by the enemy. They will never make an excuse again for what you've asked them to do. God, I bless them and I thank you, God, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. You better get ready.